you are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, including our gathering times at Fishers, Eagle Creek, Noblesville, Pendleton, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. Okay. All right. Very good. So, I haven't seen that happen before, but uh, he's, you know, the music stand's feeling kind of down today. I don't know, maybe you're feeling down, but, you know, the Lord will lift you up. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, we were in chapter 3 last week, and uh, last week we talked about some really interesting things, but we ended up with Abner, who was Saul's general, and the one who put Ishbosheth in uh, on the throne, basically saying, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to go and give the kingdom to David the way the Lord wanted to happen all around, all along. He was irritated with Ishbosheth because Ishbosheth uh, accused him of something that he actually did, which was to sleep with Saul's concubine, which means he made a move on the throne, which is why Ishbosheth was upset about that. Abner also had uh, previously in the civil war that he had killed Azahel. Um, making enemies with Joab, that's David's general. So he killed Azahel, and he's got an enemy with Joab. Ishbosheth has lost confidence in him because of his move on the throne, and he's really not left with much else to do. He's left with one play here, and that's to transfer the authority to David now. And that's where we pick it up in verse 12, 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 12. It says this, Abner sent messengers as his representatives to David, saying, Whose land is it? Make your covenant with me, and you can be certain that I am on your side to turn all Israel over to you. David replied, Good, I will make a covenant with you. However, there is one thing I require of you. You will not see my face unless you first bring Saul's daughter, Michal, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to say to Ishbosheth, Son of Saul, give me back my wife, Michal. I was engaged to her for the price of a hundred Philistine foreskins. So Ishbosheth sent someone to take her away from her husband, Paltiel of Laish. Her husband followed her, weeping all the way to Baharim. Abner said to him, Go back. So he went. I've been practicing those names again this week, and so thank you for your prayers on that. Verse 17 Abner conferred with the elders of Israel. In the past, you wanted David to be king over you. Now then, do it, because the Lord has spoken concerning David. Through my servant David, I, through my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the power of the Philistines and the power of all Israel's enemies. Abner also informed the Benjamites, and he went down to Hebron to inform David about all that was agreed on by Israel, the whole house of Benjamin. And when Abner went, and 20 men came to David at Hebron, and David held a banquet for him and his men. I'm going to pause right there, and we're going to read the rest of it here in just a minute. But basically here, Abner is following through with what he said he was going to do. He's gone to David, and he's saying, hey, David, whose land is it anyway? And, uh, and David's like, okay, uh, you're not going to see my face, though, until I get my wife. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about David's wives. Anybody remember that discussion? Or what some of the commentary was about that discussion? Uh, so, just as a refresher, the Bible is not okay 
with uh, a king or anyone having more than one wife. So just because we see David having more than one wife does not mean God was happy about it. And in fact, last week we learned that his disobedience to God, there would be, because of that, there would be a price to pay for David. His children were a mess. We also learned that God's word will not hold anything back from us. It will always tell us the truth, even the ugly parts right? It would have been really tempting for the writers, for the Holy Spirit even, to gloss over some of David's faults, but the Bible doesn't do that. He doesn't give us just the good. He gives us everything. And finally, we learn about David that even though he wasn't perfect, God still used him, and that's good news for us today. Amen? Amen. So David uh, wanted to get his first wife that he actually should have won for defeating Goliath, but he says, I won her by getting 100 Philistine foreskins. If you recall that from 1 Samuel, he actually got 200. He did extra credit for that, and that's when he got Michal's hand in marriage. But it was not really a great marriage. It was actually a pretty, not, not a great one at all. Michal didn't really like him. And, uh, and so you kind of wonder, you're left wondering, why does David want to have her back? Because Saul actually... Uh, because of the way things went, and because Saul didn't like David, and Saul was insecure about David, and Michal didn't like him, Saul actually gave Michal to another man. So she's married again. And, and now David's saying, hey, I want her back. And you're just kind of left scratching your head. You're like, you got six other wives, dude. Like, are you, are you good yet here? And some of them actually might like you. Why are you doing this? And there's another man involved here, so what's going on with that? Well, it, it was mostly, really, a political move. It was a political move to demonstrate that Saul's house was united with David's house from long ago and that he still has ties to the house of Saul and the previous king's son-in-law. So from a worldly standpoint, this was a good political move, but it was not a God-pleasing move, not at all. Verse 15, Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband from Paltiel, the son of Laish, but her husband went with her weeping as he went. So this was something of a good marriage. This was something where they got married, you know, because of love. Crazy thing, right? And uh, he obviously was really upset about it. I think I would be really upset about that too. You know, for the record, if someone tried to take Danya away from me uh, over my cold, dead body. So, okay. <laughs> right? Yes. So, um, I, I wouldn't be weeping. I'd be fighting. I'd be swinging. So, <laughs> And maybe if he had been, maybe things would be different. But he was weeping, and then Abner said to him, okay, now just go home. So he did. Verse 17. Now Abner had consultation with the elders of Israel, saying, in times past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then, do it. For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, by the hand of my servant David will, uh, will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin. And, and in, the addition, in addition, Abner went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, and all that seemed good to Israel and to the whole house of Benjamin. So he's following through now. He's using his influence with the rest of Israel to say, hey, make David your king. And it makes special mention of the Benjamites. Why? Because Saul, the previous king, was a Benjamite, and so is Abner. 
So there might have been special loyalties to them there. So it's just interesting, and that's probably why he, it made, he made a special visit just to them to say, hey, listen, I know you might have loyalties with me and with Saul, but David is supposed to be your king, and I'm, go- I'm getting behind David. You should get behind David. And he says it in a very direct way. He says it in a very direct way. He says, you've been talking about making David your king. Now then, do it. Now then, do it. I think when Nike had more logical advertisement campaigns, that's when they came up with just do it. I think they got it from here. So now then, do it. A long time now, the people of Israel were talking about it. They were talking about having David as their king. They were even singing about it, right? Saul's killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. They were planning that one day David would be king. They were looking for it. So he's just saying, look, you haven't done it yet. Now let's make it happen. Do it. Do it. You know anybody that talks about something and they talk and they talk and they talk and they talk? And you're like, I don't think they're ever actually going to do the thing they're talking about. Right? Maybe you've been in that position. You're like, I really need to stop talking about it and just do it. Anybody? There are things in our lives where we just have to finally, to just like he says, now then, do it. Just do it. You know how many people talk about making Jesus their king? You know how many people think about making Jesus their king, maybe even listen to songs about making Jesus their king, maybe even singing along with songs about making Jesus their king, but like Israel, not actually making Jesus their king, right? We're really good at letting Jesus save us and deliver us. The hard part is making Jesus the king of my life, making him the leader of my life. And, and so in a, in a similar way, if you're here today and, and you're like, oh, you're stepping on my toes, Pastor. I, I've been there and maybe I'm there right now where I've talked about it and, you know, I've talked about living my whole life for Jesus and I've flirted with the idea. I need to go ahead and do it. So you could take Abner's words right to your own heart and say, now then, do it, right? And then it says, then Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron. And David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. So he made a banquet for the, for the general of the rival army. Remember, Abner was Saul's general. Abner set up Ishbosheth as king even when David was supposed to be king. So it's just, don't let it get lost on you that the significance of this, now all of a sudden David's throwing a banquet for Abner. Where's Joab in all this? Well, he's not there. (laughs) He's not there. It might have been a different story if he was there. He's not there at the time, but he's not going to be happy when he hears about this. And it's also noteworthy that they're meeting in Hebron. Hebron was at what the, the Bible in the Old Testament, there were different cities that were called cities of refuge. And in a city of refuge, you know, perhaps somebody who's accused of murder can go to a city of refuge and they would be safe there. Or someone who, who maybe accidentally killed somebody, they can go there and not worry about revenge and not worry about someone coming after them. They can count on a fair trial. So criminals were 
safe and guaranteed a, a fair trial, so to speak, in Hebron. So that's where Abner is. So it's noteworthy that there, here's where the banquet is for the rival general. So when Abner was with David in Hebron, he was in a place of refuge. Put a bookmark on that in your mind and heart. Verse 21. Abner said to David, Let me arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may be king over all that your soul desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. And behold, the servants of David and Joab came from a raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. So Abner's not there anymore, and Joab is. When Joab and all the army that was with him arrived, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Job is probably just fuming at this news, right? In fact, he goes on to say, Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? It's a really bold statement and tone to take with the king. What have you done? What are you thinking? What in the world goes on when I'm not around here? I leave the place for just a little bit, and you did what? Behold, Abner came to you. Why then have you sent him away? And he's already gone. You know, Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive you and learn of your going out and your coming in to find out all that you're doing. Now, I don't know whether Abner knew, or excuse me, Joab knew that Abner was actually bringing all of Israel to David. He may not have known that, but David knew that, and David knows that what Joab's saying isn't true. But Joab's assuming, or he's saying, don't you think he came here to actually spy on you? Don't you think he actually came here to gather intel on you? What are you thinking? So when Joab came out from David, verse 26, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the well of Sarah, but David did not know it. Joab hated Abner. And it's a little bit understandable, isn't it? When Joab killed Azahel, that's Joab, when Abner killed Azahel, that's Joab's brother. So he hates him for one because he killed his brother. But another interesting fact is, many scholars believe that Joab was also getting a little insecure about his position in David's court because Abner was a much more experienced commander than Joab was. So he was feeling threatened by Abner coming around, and he hated Abner for killing his brother. And though it's not right, and the Bible again isn't endorsing this, but he had revenge in his heart. And vengeance is never a good reason to kill a person, right? Verse 27. So when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the middle of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the belly so that he died on account of the blood of Asahel, his brother. So it, it was revenge. The Bible's pretty clear it was a revenge. Now, you may also say it's justice, right? Blood for blood. You killed my brother, I kill you. Don't confuse revenge with justice. They're not the same. They're not the same at all. They may look the same sometimes, but what it comes down to in the end is motive. 
the motives of the heart. And it's unclear whether Joab could discern his own heart on the matter. He may have thought he was serving justice. He may not have understood the amount of revenge was in his heart. But the scripture is clear that this was driven by vengeance, right? It's worth noting this, that the Bible knows our motives better than we do. Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. The Bible knows our intentions and our motives more than we do. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why we should be in the word of God because it will uncover things in our heart that we didn't even know existed there. We do freedom groups and we're getting ready to have freedom conference. If you went through a freedom group, by the way, and haven't been to a conference, it's not too late. You can get to this conference and I would highly, highly urge you to do that because in a freedom group and in a freedom conference, it uncovers things that are in our heart using scripture that we didn't even know we were there, and that's why we call them freedom groups, because those things will keep you bound. They'll keep you bound up. So if you've never been to the conference and you've been through a group, you need to go. If you've never been in a freedom group, you need to sign up for one next time. It's something where God will use to set you free. And remember this. Abner had, at this point, come back to Hebron. They brought him back to Hebron, which was what? A city of refuge. So revenge shouldn't have been something going on there. But it does say that Joab brought him to the gate. And what a lot of people think is, you know, maybe like this old school handshake. Okay, Abner, you, you pulled one over on David. Uh, you know what? Good job. You did it. Here, put it there. And if Abner would have put out his hand to shake his hand, then Joab would have just pulled him right out of that city gate. So it wasn't in Hebron and killed Abner. A lot of people think that's exactly what happened. Verse 28. Afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are innocent before the Lord forever of the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall on the head of Joab on all his father's house, and may there not fail from the house of Joab one who has a discharge, or one who is a leper, or one who takes hold of a staff, or one who falls by the sword, or one who lacks bread. He's calling down curses on Joab. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. David was angry. Why? Well, for one, this was, again, a politically a bad move. Abner was gathering Israel and bringing Israel to David. And so especially if anybody had divided loyalties like the Benjamites, this was not a good move. But moreover, it was a dishonorable way to kill somebody. Not only was it supposed to be a city of refuge, but it was driven by revenge. And David didn't give any such order that Abner was supposed to be killed. So Joab was taking matters into his own hands. He ignored the chain of command. And now curses are being called down on him. It's really no different for us. When we ignore 
our king to do our own thing, we curse ourselves. There are a lot of reasons we do our own thing, right? It's in our nature. We want our own way. Many of us have lived long enough to see how that goes so we know better. When we do our own thing, though, sooner or later, we'll find ourselves not blessed but cursed. And in Joab's case, the king could have been calling down blessings for Joab, but he's calling down curses instead. Why? Because Joab did his own thing. He came out from the chain of command. He did something he wasn't commanded to do, and he did it in a dishonorable way. Vengeance is not justice, but God is a just God, and David knew that. That's why he's angry. That's why those curses are being called down. Then David said to Joab, to all the people who were with him, tear your clothes, gird on sackcloth, and lament before Abner. And King David walked behind the bier. Thus they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king chanted a lament for Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Should Abner die as a fool dies? Why would he say it that way? I have some speculation here. There's a lot of going in and out of this city of refuge for Abner and for Joab. But there was a point where Abner has a conversation with David in the city, and then he leaves the city, and that's when Joab comes back. I just kind of wonder, and this is speculation only, if David had just, or excuse me, Abner had just stayed in the city of refuge and he was there when Joab showed up that perhaps David could have come up with an agreement between the two or a truce or even made peace and none of this would have ever happened, right? Why didn't, Abner, Abner, why didn't you just stay in the city of refuge? Should you die as a fool dies? Why would you leave that place of refuge? Joab did the same thing, by the way. How did he do that? He went out from underneath the command of his king. So he was out from underneath the covering of his king, which brought down curses on him. And there's a principle here. There's a principle here because we may not have a city of refuge, but we have a place of refuge in Jesus Christ. He is our refuge, right? The gospel is our refuge. We hide ourselves in the gospel. The fact that Jesus died on the cross, raised to life again, and forgives our sins. When we remove ourselves from that covering that Jesus gives us, we open ourselves to any and everything this world and the enemy of our soul has for us. There's so many people, many people, maybe you, wonder, how has my life become so complicated? How has my life become so difficult? Why am I constantly in a battle? Why does it always feel like my world is coming apart? Why do I feel dead inside? Maybe they've come out from underneath the covering. Now, I'm going to do something. And I know this, there's a superstition that if I do this inside, it's bad luck. We don't believe in luck. I'm not superstitious. I'm only a little stitious. And so I'm going to, there we go. All right. Wow, this is nice. I can actually see you. You can't see me anymore, but I can see you. Right? So 
You know, I, I don't know. We've had a lot of storms lately, haven't we? I mean, they've been some pretty crazy storms. My grass is really green, though, so that's good, right? But when you have to go out in the rain, it's really nice to have an umbrella. And this is a really good umbrella, right? I, I've had some cheesy ones before that you're like, this isn't doing anything. It's actually, the water's actually rolling off the umbrella onto me. But sometimes, you know, when I'm outside in the rain and I'm holding an umbrella, my arm gets tired of holding the umbrella. It's not comfortable. I might look stupid. I don't know. But I get tired of holding the umbrella. And I might get tired enough to just go ahead and put the umbrella down. Maybe I should close it up. There we go. I might just want to put it down. See, when we don't take refuge in Jesus and we wonder why life is difficult and complicated, it's like putting down an umbrella in a thunderstorm and wondering why you're getting wet. Because you come out from underneath the covering of the umbrella. And when you come out from your place of refuge, Jesus, when you come out and do your own thing like Joab did, you come out from underneath the covering of Jesus, and now you're left to suffer the elements, which are not good. They're far worse than rain. You get what I'm saying here? Should Abner die as a fool dies? Why am I getting wet? I don't know. Are you a fool? It's raining outside. You have an umbrella right there. Why aren't you using it? My arm got tired. What are you? Right? When Abner left Hebron and Joab returned, he came out from underneath the protection of the city of refuge. It's the same when we put the umbrella down. It's the same when you don't put your life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then you're out from underneath his blessings and protection. Verse 34. Should Abner die like a fool dies? Your hands were not bowed, nor your feet put in fetters. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it's still day. But David vowed, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if I taste bread or anything else before the sun goes down. So he's fasting. Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them, just as everything the king did pleased all the people. So all the people in all Israel understood that day that it had not been the will of the king to put Abner, the son of Ner, to death. Just a note here. He's king. And it says all the people knew it was not the will of the king for this to happen because of how he was acting. Just a note about God's will. Not everything that happens in this world is something that God wants to happen. It says they all understood this wasn't the king's will. Listen, your life, my life stopped being what God originally intended the moment we sinned. It was allowed because of free will, and it's still allowed today, and it still has consequences today. Consequences God doesn't want to see any of us endure. That's why we have this. This is proof, by the way, that God doesn't want us to live a life under a curse. He doesn't want those things to happen to us. But when we get hurt because of sin in our life, 
Sometimes we blame God for those things. Or maybe someone else hurt you. That doesn't mean God wanted it to happen. Don't assume that. Don't blame God. Someone in here, some of you need to stop blaming God. It will kill you inside. It will blind you and keep you bound and keep you from being free. Just a little note there, verse 38. Then the king said to his servants, do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? I am weak today. Though anointed king and these men, the sons of Zeruiah, are too difficult for me. May the Lord repay the evildoer according to his evil. This was, whether or not David did it for this reason, this was a public relations win for David. How he handled this situation really galvanized his, the support that people gave him as king. It really brought him to a place where people looked at him, some people looked at him differently after this. And we see that in this passage. I want to bring us back, though, to two places. Abner, before he died, he came to the people of Israel and he said, in times past you were seeking for David to be king over you, now then, do it. And I want to ask this question today because this is what I posed earlier. Some of us talk about Jesus as our king, but we haven't made him our king. And there's some in here this morning that maybe this word is for you. Now then, do it. Do it. There's things that you're doing you know you ought not be doing. There's things that you're not doing that you know you ought to be doing because Jesus is not your king right now. And the Holy Spirit's working in your heart to say, hey, make me your king. I want you to be under my blessings. I want you to be under my protection. Now then, do it. Do it. Today. And in another place, Abner says, while he's in Hebron, let me arise and go. And he leaves Hebron. He leaves the city of refuge. Maybe there is a time in your life that you did have Jesus as king, but you have left your place of refuge. You are out from underneath that covering, and you know it. You're the person standing in the rain, getting wet, wondering why you're getting wet, and you've come out from underneath the umbrella. You're like, I feel silly admitting that, Pastor, but that's me. God's word has an amazing way of uncovering our hearts, even to us, and you may have come in today not even realizing it, but you're saying, wow, this is, this is hitting home for me. Well, you have this very moment, this very opportunity to do something about where you are with Jesus. Would you pray with me? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, Find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.